Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Builders Build podcast. Uh, I'm your host, George Poop. And today I'm super excited to introduce you to a guest who is a serial entrepreneur in finance and fintech. And he has had a great deal of experience in solving problems in industries and fields that honestly no one's been solving before. So it's my honor to introduce you to Cato Pasto, who's the founder and CEO of Loopcard, a corporate card that is fueling the growth of e-commerce businesses. So Cato, thanks so much for coming to the show today. Super glad we can have you. Thanks, George. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, definitely be excited to be chatting with you. It's super excited. Uh, yeah, so before we get started, I think me and our audiences, we usually, the first questions we ask is, like, how do you came into the world of entrepreneurship? Uh, and I think, you know, like from looking at your profile, you mentioned that you come from a family with entrepreneur routes. So tell us more about that and what's your journey of becoming an entrepreneur? I, I would say I've been an entrepreneur uh, for as long as I can remember. So I've always been running kind of like side hustles and side businesses. M my parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, my mom was a caterer, actually I ran a catering company and I used to help her out on nights and weekends, help her with accounting and books as I kind of got more into finance. So I've always been very closely attached to the, the small business owner world and, and the world of running your own business. And so after graduating university here in Canada, it was almost obvious to me that I wanted to start a business right away. So first thing I, I did was try to validate some ideas and hypotheses about you know, what problems could be solved and haven't really stopped since, uh, since then. Okay. That's awesome. And I know you mentioned a lot about small businesses. Like I think like two of your businesses are solving problems for small businesses. Is that part of the influence from your family? Yeah, with the uh, absolutely. I think so. As, as you mentioned, like I, all of the problems that I've been trying to solve for through any ventures that I've undertook have been really around empowering other entrepreneurs and other small business owners, because that's something that's kind of near and dear to me. I've always kind of seen both the the good side but also the struggles that come with entrepreneurship and so anything that i can do to make the life of a small business owner easier is uh, a check off in my box both from a business perspective but also just from a personal perspective so that's something that gives me great satisfaction for sure yeah yeah and that's uh, super exciting my my first venture was also about small businesses and construction so i could definitely feel like we're on the same page there. So yeah, let's uh, talk, go straight into Loop. I think I gave our audiences like a brief overview, but of course everyone wants to hear from you. So tell us more about what Loop does and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So we really understood small business for a long time, but most importantly, we've seen a new trend over the last few years that has really been around online digital companies. And, and I'm talking specifically about e-commerce businesses. And when you speak to an e-commerce entrepreneur, it's awesome because you hear about the growth rate of those companies, how much traction and momentum there is in that space. But one of the things that always sticks out to me whenever I speak to an entrepreneur is the clunky financial infrastructure that exists around running an e-commerce business. Right now, legacy financial institutions and, and banks are not really built to support this new wave of entrepreneurship where people are global from day one and actually operating a business cross-border. Most of the banks are set up for businesses that are operating within a local area or local community. And so that's something that is really transparent and challenging for, for business owners. And, and, and interestingly, I heard stories during the pandemic, for example, of business owners in Canada that needed U.S. accounts and their bank told them to drive down to Buffalo to get a, a U.S. account when the border was closed, <laughs> right? So you hear crazy things like that. Um, which are just like a nature of the fact that those types of companies were not really in mind or envisioned when obviously banks set up the way that they do business. And so what we're really trying to do with Loop is build a financial services platform and application 
that gives entrepreneurs all of the tools that they need to do their day-to-day finances and banking in one place. And so more specifically, we offer the ability for businesses to get access to multi-currency cards, meaning they have an actual card with a credit limit that they can spend money in different currencies with. The ability to get multi-currency accounts so they can actually receive money in different currencies as they do business across the world. The ability to easily transfer money from one country to another, convert currencies, pay suppliers. So all the things that you need to do just on a day-to-day basis to run your business, you should be easy to do through one platform. But right now, you know, many business owners are using three, four, five, or even six different platforms to run their business. And so what we're doing is putting all that in one place so that as an e-commerce founder, you can use Loop to run your business in one place and, and most importantly for free as well without any charges to use, uh, use our services. Well, that, that's amazing. So I, I think especially after the pandemic or during the pandemic, I personally see there are so many other entrepreneurs coming into the e-commerce space. So from your end, Keta, like what are their profiles like? Like who are those people starting e-commerce businesses and what are their biggest needs in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it, great question. I mean, I, I've seen such a vast uh, array of e-commerce founders. There's that, That's one of the great things about running like an online business is you can literally be anyone anywhere in the world and start a company, right? And so I, I've seen a huge amount of diversity in terms of the founders that I've been speaking to, which is awesome. I'd say there's some people who come from more of a technical advertising background who use that advertising experience and knowledge and ability to drive traffic to a site as a mechanism to do it. I've seen people who are really passionate about products. For example, people who really care about a certain segment, whether it's clothing or beauty products and want to launch new products and new innovative products to people and deliver those 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 products online. And then I've also seen people who have transitioned, people who have been running maybe more legacy retail businesses who have moved online and found success by bringing their community and their audience from brick and mortar to online. So I've seen a, definitely a, a great variety of different people operating these types of businesses. And that's what makes it so exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I personally know a friend whose dad is operating like a physical as well. And then during the pandemic, they moved it online. And I think they use like Shopify because they don't know how to code, which I think is a really great value proposition there. Uh, I do think like the financial segment, okay, like you said, it's a bit lacking. I think when I, when we, when I first started my company, they required all of our founders to be at the bank branch to be able to open the account. <laughs> and that was just so ridiculous because we have like three, four folks. And then maybe some of them might be like in Vancouver, which is a thousand kilometers away and they still require to be on the same branch. So talk to us more about the financial challenges those e-commerce entrepreneurs are facing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is related to that, right? There's, there's people that I speak to that still have to go into a branch to make payments. There's people that are being charged 30 to $50 to pay their suppliers and they're paying their suppliers once a week so that those fees can really add up. One big challenge that I've heard from e-commerce founders is just the ability to collect money in different countries. So as a Canadian e-commerce founder, if you want to earn money in the U.S. and U.S. dollars, it's actually not that easy to collect your U.S. dollar revenue. So let's say you're selling on Amazon or you're selling on Shopify or selling through Stripe. It's not easy to get those U.S. dollars back into your U.S. dollar account in Canada. A lot of the people who vendors or payment processors in the U.S. won't pay cross-border into Canada. And so people are losing as much as 5% in FX fees to their bottom line just between converting currencies back and forth. So I've heard a whole lot of different like pain points and use cases. And obviously like with Loop, we're really seeking to solve a lot of those pain points and use cases around like some of the friction that exists today around finance. So everything cross-border today, I would say is really difficult, whether it comes to getting paid in a certain currency or getting paid in, in a certain place or making payments out in different currencies 
whether it be through credit card or cards or whether it's through wire payments or that type of thing, there's just really no platform that allows you to do all of that stuff at the moment. And so that's definitely something that causes a lot of business owners headaches, uh, cost them time and, and definitely keeps them up at night. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think let's talk about more about the core features for the, I know the top thing you said, it's like the cross-border account yeah. that can allow entrepreneurs to have multiple currencies. Uh, what other things can entrepreneurs do on the platform? Yeah, so we also have uh, a really cool product, which is a multi-currency card uh, called Loop Card. And what Loop Card allows you to do is spend in different currencies without incurring any FX or, or having the money convert. So let's just say you need to spend money in US dollars. Loop Card will actually allow you to spend in US dollars and keep your balance in US dollars as well. So it basically acts like it's a US dollar card. And then if you spend in Canadian dollars or you spend in British pounds, the same thing is true. So your balance stays in those currencies as well. And so what's great about that is you can use your US dollar revenue or your British pound revenue to pay off your expenses in that currency, meaning you can save or cut out the foreign exchange completely from the equation, which is really helpful for businesses that are operating cross-border or operating in different different countries. So that, that's one of the other things mm -hmm. that, that we're offering. And as, as I mentioned, if you ever need to make payments as a company, oftentimes like payments can cost quite a lot of money. And that's another product that we're also offering to, to, to companies. So free local and international payments. So you can easily make payments to your suppliers to buy inventory, all of that type of stuff, all, all through our platform. And the one other thing I'll mention is we also understand like how important working capital is to e-commerce businesses. The nature of an e-commerce business is you're buying inventory now, you're spending on advertising now, and it's going to take you some time bet between when you pay for that stuff and when customers actually buy your product, right? And so that working capital gap is, as I call it, is one of the biggest challenges that an e-commerce founder has to manage and solve for on a regular basis. And so that's why when we built our product offering, one of the most important things we wanted to include was the longest interest-free period in the market when it comes to any card product. So when you use our card product, you get 55 days of interest-free purchasing, whereas like the average bank product might give you like 35 to 45 days, right? So you're getting on average 10 to 20 days longer. Yeah. And the reason we did that is we really are listening and trying to understand what are the challenges that e-commerce businesses face and trying to build products that help with with those challenges. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, th I think you're addressing many important problems here. Uh, and let's talk more about what you did to address those problems, because I'm sure it like it's very difficult, I think, for a founder to fintech in Canada, as I've heard multiple times. So what was the journey like of getting Yeah, there? I mean, that we could probably spend a, a full podcast just talking about like some of the challenges and, and regulatory challenges that exist in Canada. So definitely a lot of things that we've had to navigate over the years of, of building different products and services for founders. O overall, I think I've had a lot of opportunity now to understand the regulatory framework across different financial aspects of our, our financial ecosystem, payments, securities, banking, all of fund custody, like all of those types of things. When you think about it from a product perspective, they aren't, they don't come to mind, but when you're actually trying to build a product, yeah. these are things that you have to deal with. And so we as a business have built a lot of, I'd say scar tissue and knowledge of learning how to navigate this stuff in Canada. And so that's how we've been able to build a product and, a, and an app platform that brings lots of services together in one place, because oftentimes it can be a struggle just to offer one financial product or service in, in the market. But for us and for our customers, we understood that you know fragmented services don't really address the core issue. 
And so we were able to leverage that knowledge and expertise um, that we've built over the years, some of our relationships with different financial partners and financial institutions, as well as regulators, to be able to bring this model to... to... Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I really want to talk about the infrastructure here for a bit, because like I, I've had experience of building in both Canada and the US. And I think when, I, when you were building for US customers, the infrastructure is quite mature, I, I would say, or it's getting more and more. So as you're building Loop, do you guys have to build your own infrastructure yeah, no, in a way? Great, great uh, question. Like... Yeah, so I, I would say when you're building, because our platform is international, it, it, we've actually seen directly the different technologies that are available in different jurisdictions. So I've seen the technology in Canada. I've seen it in the US. I've seen it in Europe and the UK. Uh, so that's definitely been eye-opening to see the differences in the, in the technology that, that's available. So when we've been building out our platform, for example, in the U.S., there's a lot of really great partners we've been able to rely on that have their own APIs that sit on top of existing bank infrastructure. So it's super easy to integrate with. They've already done the heavy lifting. When it comes to the Canadian side of things, we're often working directly with like the financial institution rails themselves. So we're working with the, like some of that legacy technology. So we've had to build like our own kind of abstraction layer between the financial institutions tech and then you know our tech stack to have those different you know legacy um, systems talk to more modern systems. And so ideally over over the next few years we'll see with things being modernized in payments with open banking, hopefully we'll see a movement towards more modern technology in Canada. But for sure, we've definitely had to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of building technology. But just given the nature of the fact that our, our ecosystem is a lot less developed than it is in, in the U.S. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned open banking. This It's a word I've been hearing a lot lately from the Canadian fintech founders. I think, you know, a few I've heard is Andrew from Borowell, honest Paul from Portage Ventures. They, they all mentioned the same thing, open banking. And I know Loop and yourself has been advocating a lot for open banking and those changes. So tell us more about what open banking plans to do and how do we get there? How did we? Yeah, get like I think the simplest way to explain open banking to someone, like, and I think the correct way to to explain it is by basically saying when you bank and you have bank accounts or cards or loan products, there's a whole bunch of data around your transactions and your payments and what you've actually done with those products. And the concept of open banking is really that that data belongs to you as the user. It doesn't belong to the bank that you've been doing that that transactional activity with. At the end of the day, the, those banks that you've been doing it with are essentially like a utility, but the data really should belong to you. Right. And so what open banking is conceptually is giving you the right as a user to dictate who should be able to access, change, manipulate that that data. And so just to, to give you an example, the most common use case, I have a whole bunch of transactional history. I want to give that to somebody else because I want to sign up for a product or service with someone else. And I want to be able to give them the benefit of seeing my past behavior and past activity. That makes sense because it helps the person I want to do business with. And it helps me as well as a user because I'm going to get a better product or service by giving them access to my data. And I have the discretion as to who to give it to or not. Other cases as well might be allowing people to actually move money on my behalf or initiate transactions. And so giving people the ability to direct um, different service providers on how they want their money to be used is really a benefit to the user. It's going to cut down costs when it comes to financial infrastructure. And I think ultimately that's what we're here to do is like create better products and services for 
people that that want to use our banking infrastructure. So in my eyes, it's a no-brainer. But obviously, you do have the existing incumbent banks who who you know don't want to don't want to give that up because obviously that's they view it as a competitive advantage for them having this data that they you know don't want to share with anyone else. So and having the access to these payment rails that uh, are are legacy and so other people don't have access to. That's all going to change in in the very near future. And I think the sooner we can get it to be more open and, and the access to be open to more people, the better we're going to do as a society and, and as an economy, because that, that is the future. So the longer we resist it, just the, the further we'll be behind. Yep. Yeah. And I definitely hope that again, we can hear more good news about open banking in the coming months or year. But yeah, thanks for giving giving an overview there. I think I learned a lot. Let's now move our topic to e-commerce. I know, Kato, your first company was dealing with small businesses. Now you're solving problems for e-commerce. So why e-commerce to start with? Do you have friends who are working on e-commerce? That I do have idea? friends who I work in e-commerce companies, but that's not like necessarily the only reason I, I'd say that we're we're building an, a platform for e-commerce businesses. So there's a few reasons. The The first is that modern entrepreneurs are thinking about building their businesses online and they're thinking about building their businesses globally. And that is really cool because mm-hmm. that's really powerful. But oftentimes you'd have to build a pretty big business before you thought about building a business that could go global or could export or be online. Now those things are the defaults. And so with those being the defaults, the possibility of growth within those types of companies is enormous compared to maybe the way that the growth rate the businesses used to experience. And so we see such a huge potential within the e-commerce space for rapid growth. Companies that start and are doing millions of dollars and tens of millions of dollars of revenue within just a couple of years. That's super exciting to to see and be a part of. And so we want to help enable that growth and remove the barriers and the friction that exists with starting a global company with the the products and services that, that we're trying to offer. So that's very much where we see the opportunity is there is a whole movement at the moment in terms of entrepreneurship and new business creation of companies that are already e-commerce, they're online from day one. And it's just a super exciting opportunity to be able to enable those companies to to do their business and build their businesses successfully. Yeah, but I think that's awesome. I do want to talk more about from idea yeah. to launch, because I, I know you guys are, like, I'm assuming like building a fintech product is a bit difficult, right? Just because of the regulations, like you mentioned. Uh, I personally know a lot of entrepreneurs who want to start something, well, either fintech or non-fintech. And the biggest problem they have is, okay, I want to launch this, but I know that I cannot, but I'd still want to validate to make sure that I'm solving the right problem uh, and test the features. So how, how did you guys um, yeah, do that? It's a really Close good story. question. It, it's really difficult to do in the fintech space. You're, you're right. There, there's never really, an, I, I've tried to give different answers to this question over the years. There's no easy answer. The best thing you can do is the MVP is always going to be a little bit of a more complex MVP when you're building a fintech company than you know if you're building any other product. But there is always a way to test out a, an idea or a service without investing too much into it, right? And so the first thing I'd mm-hmm. say is talk to as many people as you can that run that are in your chart, maybe actually taking a step back, define who your target market is first. So who are you going after and what problem is your, are you, do you think you're validating or what problem do you think you're solving for that company? Once you that, go and talk to them mm-hmm. and make sure you can try to validate your idea and your hypothesis with that business, right? Okay, they pay a lot of FX fees. Is that a problem for them? Do they mind paying a lot of FX fees? What solution do in their mind would be an ideal solution to solving that? Once you have the MVP of what a viable solution could be, 
for, for the problem that you're trying to solve or address. I think at that point, you have to start investing in at least some baseline level of product to let people test that, right? So just to give you an example, there's lots of like card pro- card issuing platforms out there. So if you think you need a card as your entry point, there's many like card issuing platforms that will allow you to like through an API, create some cards. The economics might not be great, might be expensive to get set up in the first place, but it's worth it just to go and test and validate your idea, right? And so I would say getting mm-hmm. your MVP bill, not with the, the solution that's going to be like the best economical solution, but the solution that's going to get you to the market the fastest so that you can learn from it is really like my advice to anyone who's trying to start a fintech company. You can always solve for optimizing your economics and that type of thing down the road once you have scale. Yeah, it's super interesting. And now before we move to the next topic, let's talk more about e-commerce founders, because I think many of them might be hopping onto this episode. I want to learn more about what is it like to build an e-commerce business? Uh, I know, Kato, you're not building an e-commerce business for sure, but you've been working with a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs. Uh, so for those who are considering starting an e-commerce business or who are just starting an e-commerce business, what would you, what would the top Yeah, I mean, I can't talk, there, there's certain things I would say I am and I am not to qual- qualified to talk about. I think one thing I probably am qualified to talk about when it comes to e-commerce businesses is the financial side of things. Like I think I have a, a pretty decent understanding as to what metrics make a business good versus not. And really the things that I would always emphasize with a, a business is like what knowing your margins, knowing your customer acquisition costs, knowing your lifetime value of a customer, like those are critical to understanding how you're going to build your e-commerce brand. And so if you have a high mm-hmm. margin business, you can have room to have uh, a relatively large customer acquisition cost and not necessarily care that much about necessarily repeat business. Repeat business is always important, but it may not be like the number one thing for your company. If you have a lower margin business, if your margins are like 30% or less on your product, then things like customer acquisition costs and finding, you know, customer channels to acquire users and, and customers become really important. And also lifetime value through retention becomes really important as well. Like how can you re-engage those customers? What's the average amount of times um, that a customer purchases from you? How long until they churn? Those are kind of, I'd say, like the most important aspects of an e-commerce business. At the end of the day, an e-commerce business boils down to a few things. Like how much are you selling your product for? How much does it cost to make your product? How much does it cost to acquire a customer to buy one of your products? Right. And then you have your bottom line. So like, Mm -hmm. that's almost like how simply you can boil down an e-commerce business from a financial perspective and understanding those is I'd say the first thing I would recommend. The other thing that's super important that I would also emphasize is like understanding the cash flow cycle of these companies. So if you're going to run an e-commerce business, you're going to need to buy inventory most likely and sit on that inventory. And so you really need to understand what is the right amount of inventory to buy? How much inventory should you be sitting on at a point in time? When is the right time to restock and and reorder so that you don't run out of stock, right? And so those are the types of things that that are all really important questions for an e-commerce founder to be able to answer. And that's part of what we're trying to build tools to make easier as well. We want to make it easier for e-commerce business owners to understand those metrics better, but we also want to help them buy more inventory, take a longer time to pay for their advertising purchases, all of that type of stuff so that they can grow their business faster. Cause that's often what we see as being like blockers to growth. So yeah, I think again, th- there's obviously a ton of lessons I think that can be learned around customer acquisition hacks and, and, and tools to, to drive uh, new customers, 
retain customers. But I think really my advice that I could give is really around understanding the financial side of a business as well as you. Yep. I'm glad you mentioned the cash flow, which makes me want to go back to the feature uh, that you guys offer uh, on the card that the like, can you talk, tell us more about the yeah, feature absolutely. that gives people so like, more cash flow? With our card, one of the unique things about the, the product is when you use the card to make a purchase, so let's say you use our card to buy inventory, you get up to 55 days to pay that back. Um, and so what's great about that is oftentimes if you, let's say you went to a lender and you borrowed money, you would be taking out a loan. You'd be getting money to buy that inventory. And you would often have to start making repayments on that inventory before the inventory is even landed in, in your warehouse and you're able to sell it. So yep. 55 days may not be enough, but at least it adds an extra 55 days of buffer room to a business. So by using our card, we're giving someone this 0% interest benefit of being able to kind of like order something now and that you need to pay for now and only having to pay for it later down the road. So normally, let's just say it takes two months to from when you place your inventory order for it to land and then it takes you another four months to sell it. That's six months that you need to fund of inventory, mm -hmm. right? So that, like, your inventory needs to be funded over six months. If you have two months that you don't have to pay for it, that means that instead of paying for it for six months, that's four months. So you've actually caught, cut down the amount of financing you need to do by one third, by 33%. So, and let's just say you're, let's just say you're paying a fee of 10%. I'm just using a round number. To, to finance that inventory, well, now you only have to pay 7% because you're 6.5% because you're, you're only worrying about it for a shorter period. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got two questions, I guess. First is, are there any like restrictions on which, which I guess, resource provider, supplier that the company So we have to, a, our, no our card product is a MasterCard product. So with, with it being a MasterCard okay. product, basically the supplier has to accept MasterCard as a payment method, which is one of the most uh, widely accepted okay. payment methods in the world. But that would be the uh, the caveat on that. Okay. And my second question is just regarding like how much uh, companies can actually use to get the 50 days. So is there any credit system in place yeah, to great, determine like the credit for each company? Great question. So yeah, we, we have basically built our own proprietary methodology on how much credit we extend to uh, each customer in order to be able to buy that and make purchases with our products. And so how that's determined is based off of kind of essentially the, the their business data. So we have several integrations with various okay. kind of payment processors and platforms that businesses can essentially plug into when they go through our signup process. And one of the great things about that from a business owner's perspective is we're giving them credit based on the performance of their business, which means that as their business grows, we're also giving them access to more credit and more capital. That's a big contrast to like how traditional banks work, mm -hmm. which is it's often, often based on like your personal credit score or your personal income, which really has nothing to do with like how much yeah. you need, to, how much inventory you need to buy as a business. Many times, like just even, even so far in terms of running this product and when we had our beta period, I spoke to business owners who had a $5,000 credit limit card with their bank. They came in, connected their data to us, and then we gave them $50,000 of credit to, to make these purchases, right? Like 10 times more than what their bank was giving them. And that's just because we have the data to be able to like actually understand how much credit makes sense for this business to have based on where they're at. And ultimately, we want to be giving enough credit to every business so that they actually are, are, have enough money to buy the right amount of stuff every month. We don't want them to have to dip into their own reserves or, or own kind of cash flow earlier than needed to make some of these purchases. Yeah, I mean, and I think the lending angle is like very unique because I, I haven't seen any other companies that's kind of doing this for e-commerce businesses. I, I know a lot of doing it for SaaS businesses. 
for e-commerce, I think you're, you guys are. The yeah. I mean, so or, or yeah, for, in terms of kind of building kind of a financial app for e-commerce businesses, yes, I believe kind of we're the first ones that are uniquely focused on that vertical segment. There are a number of different service providers that may offer like individual slices of this. So people that maybe offer a card product or people who offer virtual wallets or FX, but they're all like different fragmented pieces. And then it takes five days to move money from point A to point B. So by the time you move money from point A to point B, you've already lost 10 days over here and 10 days over here. So I, I, what we've done is take the best part of all these different services that we've seen in the market, know which pieces are important to e-commerce founders and put them all together in, in one app. That's very interesting. And give us like a, I guess, a projection about what kind of features that e-commerce founders might expect from Loop coming up in the next Yeah, for sure. Year, I mean, th there's year. lots of features that, that we're currently working on and building. We want to you know, just ultimately make the lives of e-commerce founders easier. And so things we're doing is like building more integrations with more, uh, payment processors so that giving businesses the right amount of credit through a product. We're doing things like building integrations with accounting platforms. So all your data that you have with us can be easily pushed and synced to your accounting platforms to, again, save you time um, and save you headaches of you know, like capturing receipts and inputting data into different places. We want to make expense management as, as seamless and straightforward as possible for e-commerce business owners. Th those are a couple of examples of, of things. Another thing that like we really want to provide is other low cost financing tools through our platform. So just to give you a sense of that, one thing that we've heard is that there are a bunch of like loan products out there for e-commerce business owners, but they're often like revenue based financing where someone gives you money and then you're paying back a high rate of interest on a daily basis. You're paying a percentage of your sales, like you're paying 20% of your sales over five months to get access to credit. When you do the math on it, the APRs on those products can be 30, 40, 50%, like really expensive ways to finance your business. And so we think that we can definitely get business owners a better deal. And so we definitely want to be offering more affordable financial products with much longer repayment periods on more friendly terms to founders that, that are using our, our products offering as well. So uh, I kind of call that like embedded lending or embedded financing. It won't ever be required or something that we force people to do. Mm -hmm. But what we'd like to be able to say is, hey, we just saw that this month you spent $100,000 on inventory. You know, if you want, you can pay this back in 55 days and pay no interest. That's fine. But let's say your inventory turnover time, like I said earlier, is actually six months. So let's say instead of paying in two months, you you know, would ideally pay for this in six months. Well, you can pay for it in six months. There might be a 2% fee or something like that in addition to your inventory cost. So instead of paying 100000 for your inventory, now you're paying 102000 for your inventory, but you're paying for it in six months time, right? And so something like that is a, is a way to offer a really fair deal to an e-commerce founder who maybe needs some extra cash flow to extend their run runway and, and make pur purchases on other things like advertising, hiring, or, or running their business. So those are like other examples of other new products we want to embed in, into our offering. And there's definitely more things as well that we've got on our roadmap, but I don't want to take the whole time just talking about all the exciting things that we have planned. Yeah, of course. And I'm glad you mentioned about credits and lending. Segue. Which is actually the next topic <laughs> that I want to jump to about. Yeah, great segue. I think a lot of founders, they want to get into lending, but you know, also I guess lending is always this topic that I, I guess it could be a little controversial because of the rates and like the horror stories people hear from payday lenders. Um, but I think yeah. you, know, you have really experience in that lending space. Like you, you found a lending loop 
which is the company that eventually became Loop. And yeah. Talk so more, how we actually started as a company was as, as a lending product first. So have a lot of experience and knowledge in terms of providing lending and, and credit. And so, yeah, we provided capital over a hundred million dollars actually of, of financing to businesses through our platform. One of the things that we structured differently about our business model, which I think made us unique and, and continues to make us unique is we actually don't make money off lending. I don't believe in if you you know, are going to build a product with a captive audience like e-commerce business owners and you're going to provide products to them. If you're making more money by charging a higher interest rate, you're going to always be incentivized to charge them a higher interest rate. The model we built with Lending Loop was really innovative because right. we actually let other people lend money to the business owner. So we built essentially a platform to match people who want to invest in loans with people who want to take those loans. In the process, we take a fixed spread. So we do make money, but we take a, a very, like a, the same percentage of that loan or any fee that is charged for conducting that transaction. And by doing that, we're actually incentivized to try bring the cost of financing down for the business owner because we want to get them the best deal possible because that means that their business is going to do well and we're going to support them and support their business growth. We also want to make sure that the investor is getting a reasonable rate of return, right, based on on the investment and the, and the risk profile of the investment that they're making, right? So we basically are a market maker when it comes to providing lending. We have a lot of data on the companies that we work with, and we use that data to try to drive a rate that is reasonable and affordable for the company. And that different model of lending versus the traditional model of lending, which is I'm taking my money and lending it to you, makes it such that we are trying, like I said, or, or incentivized and aligned to providing a fair rate and the best rate rather than the most expensive rate. Yeah. Wow. And I, I think it's a great time to mention that my company uh, was also <laughs> doing lending from my first company, Simple Direct. Now I even did lending. Like we primarily do lending in the U.S. I think we've done like 30, 40 million uh, in construction. But I do want to talk about more about like the loans in Canada, which we also did. Unlike you guys, we're, we're not really a lender. So we just like branched off with work with our lenders. And the problem that I see myself, like we, we ran a Canadian branch for like about, I guess about two months. And the problem that I see is that the interest rates are really high when we're trying to work with those other lenders. And no matter it's like business loans or it's personal loans, those rates are like super, super high. And we've had an experience where there's a truck driver whose truck broke down and he came to us for loans. Um, and, and of course, we're only the coordinator of the loans, right? And then basically the, the story became that we gave, we gave him a loan that, well, not we, our lender gave him a loan about, about 25% or something. And we got a cut off the loan and I just kind of feel bad. <laughs> And eventually I kind of feel too bad about just giving people high interest loans. So I back down. And so I think that's the reason why you guys are doing this yourself, right? It's to lower yeah, down the exactly. cost. Yeah, exactly. Like I mentioned, I think people. there's a lot of lenders in the market who, who brand themselves in a certain way or say it's not interest. It's we're taking a percentage of your revenue or that type of thing. But at the end of the day, it is expensive and it hurts a company because there's a lot of cash coming out of the business's bank account on a regular basis when they take the, those types of loan products. And so we definitely want to offer better products um, because we care about the business's long-term success and we want to build long-term relationships with them. And we think the best way to build that long-term relationship is by giving them the best deal possible so that they can invest more money in growing their business, not in paying lenders. And like I said, this is also something that's personal for, for me. Mm -hmm. I've, I, I've been in you know, businesses my whole life. I've seen my family run their own businesses. And I, I, I 
saw them get some really unfair deals in their day. And I don't want that to happen to other entrepreneurs who are building great businesses. And so that's really part of our mission is making financial services fairer, more accessible, more open to people that are trying to, to access and use them than the way that things have, have been done historically. And that's our mission at Loop. That's a really great mission. And let's talk more about why people are going to those lenders in the first place. So what happened with the banks? Like for e-commerce entrepreneur with great cash flows, for other entrepreneurs, like why are they not going to the banks? To yeah, get a unfortunately, loan for their needs, banks are not set up to service e-commerce businesses for a few reasons. Like one, the way that bank lending models were typically set up is for asset uh, rich businesses. So like people like in like machinery, manufacturing, oil and gas sector, that's what they're set up for. And so their valuation models in terms of when they say like how much loan, should, how big of a loan should I give you? Basically, are looking for things that don't exist with an e-commerce business. That's typically asset light right? Like you have inventory, but that's pretty much it. You don't really have any other assets. And so mm -hmm. unfortunately, the way that bank lending models are set up mean that it's really hard for them to provide any type of credit offer to companies. And so there's a huge amount of really great companies that are doing really well that can't get access to bank financing. And there's a gap in the market because the existing lenders that exist are typically high interest that provide things like cash advances or royalty financing. So really, there, there hasn't been anyone who's truly stepped up to take to fill the gap that has been left by some of the traditional financial institutions and traditional banks and that's you know definitely something that we're trying to do is like provide a service mm -hmm. that ultimately should be provided by the banks but the banks just haven't taken the time to to understand or build models for because it's never been part of their core business yeah and i think let's let's now talk more about who can actually get started with luke that's why I think we haven't got it to the first segment uh you said it's a multi-currency car it can be used by people using multiple countries. Yeah, so, so what's as of your, right now, uh, we just launched the product in Canada. So so it's now live for all Canadian companies to uh, to sign up to. And so we are hopefully going to be opening up to other markets in you know the near future. But right now, it's for people that, that are running a business here in Canada. And then in, in terms of what types of companies it's available to, as of right now, there's a few platforms that we require you to work with. We are expanding the list. So this is continuing to change. So Hopefully people will check out our site, even even if you're listening to this in the future, because we might have added some more. But right now we're working with Shopify merchants, Square uh, merchants, Stripe merchants, Amazon merchants, and WooCommerce merchants. So as long as you kind of are selling through any one of those plat platforms or processing payments through one of those platforms, we'll, we're able to support you with with our products. But like I said, we are planning on on offering uh, our services to more uh, more businesses in the near future too. Okay. And for, for oh, our yeah. listeners who want to get started uh, so right now, our, our website is getloop.ca. So just like you know, go and get loop or get in the loop. And so if you go to getloop.ca, you'll see uh, a free sign up link. You can open an account totally for free. And all of our products are totally free to use right now as well. So you can get access to our cards, our account products, our payment products, and you don't pay anything to sign up, get access to it. You can even get a, a credit and access to credit without paying a single dollar. We do have some additional products, lending products and, and certain transfer products that do cost money, but those will you'll agree to that before ever using or, or signing up to those products. So most of our products are totally free to access and use. Yeah. And I think the nature <laughs> of uh, making it free is really the trend I think has been going on for a while. And I think, yeah, that's like lowering the barriers for anyone to get started, right? Like a bank account costs you $20 a month. I just sent a wire transfer internally, domestically, and cost me $50 yesterday. I was like, I was so yeah. 
so angry about it. Well, pissed off about it. <laughs> so I think, it yeah, is, uh, so I think a free, it is crazy, right? I mean, it, 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 even um, for so me, yeah, like I, when I, I opened up business bank accounts for our business, I was like, couldn't believe like I was paying $50 here and then $5 for this transaction and $20 for this transaction. Like it really adds up. Like it can be a few hundred dollars, which is if it feels just like unfair because like, why is the mm-hmm. bank charging me all this money to, to hold on to my money for me, right? So we offer all that type of stuff totally for yeah. free. You can get accounts with us. You can make transfers with us. You can get cards with us. We don't charge you a fee to get a card, which a lot of bank cards charge you a fee. If you want a US dollar card, that's another fee. There's all these fees that they've built in, try to exactly. hide from you. And so we, we've tried to remove as many fees as we can from the equation for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think, yeah, now let's talk more about the, yeah. well, I mean, the final topic on the list, which is bootstrapping. Uh, I think, I think it'll, I'm not sure if your businesses are bootstrapped, um, but I'm assuming initially. It yeah. Was, so we're not like, a bootstrap was, business. Was we have raised financing from investors to build our business. And and part of the reason for that is like building a fintech company is quite resource intensive, t- intensive. So there's lots of different things that you need to do when you're building a, a fintech company in terms of building infrastructure, setting up financial relationships and for credibility as well, you, you need to have a certain amount of capital on your balance sheet. So. For us, um, it was really hard to build it in a bootstrap way. Mm-hmm. So that's why we raised capital. But I, I love, I personally love bootstrap businesses. And, and if I was building like an e-commerce business, I would certainly be building it in a bootstrap way. I, I, w- I would be scrappy and resourceful and, and try to not take on outside money if I could. It's just the nature of kind of like the scope of what we're offering, the amount of technology, security, and regulatory stuff that's required to operate a business like this has certainly required uh, a lot of investment. So that's why we decided to raise capital. But I definitely think that a really cool part of the entrepreneurial journey is being scrappy and resourceful. And even though we have raised money, we really try to embody that same personality that a bootstrap founder would have. So even though I, I can't you know, say that that I am a founder running a bootstrap business, I, I, I definitely admire all the ones that are. Yeah, so for sure, for sure. And, and I'm glad you talk about like raising money in fintech. So what phrase do you think it's the best time for a fintech founder to raise capital? Because there's so many phrases at the beginning, right? Yeah, I, product market fit. Yeah, I, th- product, I think once you have your MVP, that you, you, once you know what MVP you want to build, like you as, as a fintech company, you probably need to build, you need to raise some money before you build your MVP. So not raise the smallest amount you can, a pre-seed. Try to do it through a convertible note structure or something like that. Hopefully from for some from some angels, family and friends that like believe in you and try to just be as resources efficient as, as you can mm-hmm. at that stage. I would say MVP stage is probably when you're trying to get your MVP to market is the first time I would raise money. Once you've started to validate the product, you have users, you have people signing up and you have a little bit of traction. That's when I would then go in and raise a larger round if possible to like then start to invest more aggressively in product development, moving from like a, a MVP to like a V1 product and getting to some, getting something that you think you can go and acquire your first thousand customers on would be pr- probably like the second time I would raise money. Yep. That's great. And do you, do, do fintech companies like, like yourself always make money from the, the day of launch MVP or do you? Kind of sacrifice yeah, that I think it really depends on what you're trying to build we... and the scale and scope of what you're trying to build. I don't think it's, I don't think if the scale and market size that you're going after is massive, I don't think it matters as much to be generating money on day one. If it's a, let's say you're building like infrastructure or making it as a service type of stuff, then I think it is really important to like validate by selling your product and generating revenue. So if you're selling software or services, then I think like, you should definitely be thinking about like, how can I make money as quickly as possible? In that case, I would actually try to even not raise money 
but maybe sell your soft, you know, pre-sell your software to someone and say, if you pay me X, you'll be my first customer and try to try to get money that way, right? But if you're building something that's kind of like more consumer business, kind of mass market focused, right. then it really matters about like how much scale can you get and how quickly can you get it more so than making money, at least for the first probably year or two of, of running the business. Yeah, that's very insightful. I'm glad to have learned it along with our audiences, because I think raising for fintech has always been like a big topic. And I'm glad that we, we you were able to uh, be on the podcast and showing them this thing. Uh, so yeah, we've discussed so many interesting, great topics. And I think our audiences got to learn more about Loop, which I think is awesome. Um, don't want to make a duplicate, but can you just find yeah, out one more time sure. and tell um, so audiences just, how uh, they can get, just... Go ahead to our you. website at getloop.ca. So it's G-E-T, like get loop, L-O-O-P dot C-A. And you'll be presented with our nice shiny homepage and can read up about our products. And there's a button to sign up for a free account right there. Okay, awesome. Would love to. Thanks again for your time. And thanks for all the great questions. I'll see you soon, George. Builders Build, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by George Poo and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Builders Build content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.